0: Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of HSJ's Health Check podcast. My name is Nicholas Carding and I'm standing in for Annabelle this week. In this episode we're going to hear about some until now secret plans to radically change the leadership of one of the NHS's most challenged integrated care systems. We'll also hear how hospital trusts are organising themselves ahead of the new health bill going live this summer. And we'll explore the progress of a flagship NHS staff wellbeing initiative at a time when workforce remains the biggest issue that keeps senior managers awake at night. Joining me are James Illman, Emily Townsend and Dave West. But James, uh, we'll start with your story, which is about uh, proposed leadership changes in Norfolk, uh, which of course has long been a rather sort of poorly performing ICS on a number of fronts, as I understand
1: it. What's your
0: story about, James?
1: Sure. So um, this is about the pro- provider side leadership. Uh, and there are there's, there's three hospital trusts in Norfolk, um, James Paget, Norfolk and Norwich, and Queen Elizabeth Hospital, Kings Lynn. And um, for a very long time, the three have uh, existed as separate entities and have long wanted to uh, maintain that. But um, as we know, across the NHS generally, um, the new world is all about collaboration, moving away from competition and so we're seeing a lot of these these sort of group models being brought together where several um, trusts come together and they do a formal merger like they have in mid and south essex or they um yeah they have some kind of group structure and what this story is about um is it's about in norfolk where they've had what has been called a committee in common for the last sort of 18 months or so and it's committed in common it's definitely not a group structure they said and it's definitely not about merging trusts they said Uh, and now it seems that certainly it is about creating a group structure very much so Um, they had some plans which were discussed in these private meetings to have a, a group leadership which would have a chair in place by April uh, that's the month just gone, a chief executive the activity in place by um, April 2023, and a group leadership thereafter. However, uh, the plans have been uh, put on pause for the moment, but the fact that they were drawn up and exist is indicative of the direction of travel for that health economy. And I, I think it's kind of three strands to the story. Firstly, there's the issue that Um, you know, this is a major governance change. You're talking about uh, three individual trusts then going to a group model and being led by one leadership. Um, Secondly, the fact that these plans were drawn up in private meetings, um, and when there's, you know, issues that are clearly matters of public interest um, being uh, discussed and decided upon behind closed doors, it's never a good look. now let's be clear. This this isn't just a problem here in Norfolk. This is a problem across the NHS. Does happen. Um, sadly, this is not unique. Um, and then, yeah. Thirdly, having one executive team is something that all three trusts have been, you know, long quite um, opposed to. So clearly, this committee in common has led to them, yeah, some pretty significant changes in in heart. Hmm in Norfolk. But yeah, as I say, things are on pause at the moment, but it'll be very interesting to see how it develops.
0: Do you know why they have paused these secret
1: plans? What is the um, thinking behind it? The, 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 the pause... well, in um, a risk register, which is where this popped up uh, in some board papers, it spoke about a um, uh, resource for the project being withdrawn. From. So they obviously had some central resource from NHS England, a uh, kind of improvement director type person in there, um, helping them with the structure, uh, that got taken away, I'm not sure why, it could just be because of cuts in general, uh, and um, uh, so now it's on pause, but it's it is not halted, it mm. is on pause.
2: I have no um, idea if this is why, but things is the right to say things have actually got slightly better in the Norfolk acute sector lately because of that Queen Elizabeth yeah. that kind of came out of inadequate special measures. Certainly, so, I mean, you had a period where four, three of the four trusts covering Norfolk—the
1: Mental Health Trust, Norfolk and Suffolk, Queen Elizabeth, Kings Lynn, and Norfolk and Norwich—which is the main tertiary provider in that area—were all um, under some kind of regulatory special measures. Mm. Uh, from the c q c and um norwich uh went from uh yeah inadequate to good during the pandemic, which it in itself was a fantastic you know really good achievement queen elizabeth King's Lynn um got to good um in the last few months again, massive achievement, you know a trust that has struggled for years and years and years um Paget has has always despite being um, uh, a, a provider that, that that kind of on paper should struggle it's it's it covers a coastal um, health economy which is always challenging um, and it's also quite a rural area as well so it's, it's got that kind of but but they they they're not certainly they they've never some special measures, north Suffolk as as we know. Uh, sadly still remains one of the most troubled rights in the NHS, but certainly on the acute side, yeah, mm. um, things have improved. Um, and, and you know, the idea of them moving towards um, more of a group model is neither a good nor a bad thing. I mean, mm. it's probably a good thing. Um, but I think what happens is people get very worried that the moment these kind of things come out, people go, oh, right, they're going to close the hospital. And you can't close a hospital in Norfolk. It's just the the, the, the the dispersed population means you need something. Um they actually monitor many years ago did a cost benefit analysis on on a serious downgrade of um, Queen Elizabeth Hospital, Kings Lynn and it, it it just didn't add up. Mm. I mean it doesn't add up clinically, it doesn't add up financially. So that's not gonna happen. But I think when these kind of things get spoken about um NHS leaders on the patch get very kind of oh god people are going to think this means shutting service mm. it's just um yeah um well it could mean shutting something but that's
0: I happened to be health correspondent in Norfolk about five six years ago and I remember I always got the sense that the NNN so the North Norfolk Norwich was sort of keen to work closer with the two DGHs but it was the fact that, you know, from King's Lynn to Great Yarmouth or Galston it is such a long way. Yeah they, yeah. they don't really see that they have that much in common. Perhaps at the time, I remember that was a sense I got. I mean, do you think that's it's that kind of those politics that have put a pause to, to this new structure? It's, it's the, oh, see the question. So it's the DGHs that are a bit more wary than actually NNUH being the big provider. Um,
1: I guess the, the, the fear of your DGH is NNUH. Um, UH, the, the the big tertiary provider and then this happens all over the place just takes over and it's 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 not a merger of equals it's, mm. it's, it's it's a takeover and then the bigger Q trust ends up putting its leadership in place uh and then you're yeah so you could see why that would be a concern but I I, I mean certainly the indications are that uh I mean I'm sure those concerns are there but I don't think it's that that's kiboshed the, the project or pause pause the project for now um I think it is more kind of uh routine and boring but also those those political um issues that you speak about they they relate to two things one is the geography and the, and, and the fact that it, it is just it's a very challenging health economy in every way you look at it and especially with all the trust being so far away from each other um, but also the people and five, six years ago, the people were very different than they are now. Um, You've got Sam Higginson and Caroline Shaw, who were into Mm -hmm. Sam Higginson at Norfolk and Norwich, and Caroline Shaw at uh, Queen Elizabeth Hospital, Kings Lynn, who have both led their organisations from, um, you know, a bad place in the CQC to good. Um, You've got a relatively new um, chief exec at um, James Padgett. So you've got very different people there. Um, and maybe they just get on a bit better. Um, I don't, <laughs> um, so they 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 claim they do, but this is this is another thing people mm-hmm. always say, Oh, yeah, you know, in the past no one got on here, but now we're all great buddies, and and it's very hard to know. Um, until and then someone else leaves and they go, Oh, actually, we, we 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 didn't get on after all, um, it, it was terrible, but now it's great. So, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, the the the, the very fact that these projects is on the table suggests um, there is better, um, yeah, Yeah, politics. and I suppose it feels like
0: when you look at what's happening elsewhere in the NHS that it is it's kind of inevitable that there will be some kind of increased collaboration between those three trusts and Dave, you've been uh, looking at sort of the trend of provider leadership and, and structure in terms of the number of trusts out there at the moment and the extent to which they share leadership. How how's that picture changed, do you think, over the last sort of five to ten years? Um, a
2: very consistent, albeit kind of quite gradual reduction in the number of independent trusts, um, mm-hmm. both the, through actual merger and acquisition to reduction um, from a high point in 2000 and... Uh, Twelve, Well, a recent high point in 2012 and previous high points of the year 2000, but keeping it recent, Um, 10 years ago, 252 separate trusts and foundation trusts and now there's 208 in the most recent actual merger was back on your current patch neck of of Devon where it got an example I suppose of a trust northern Devon that was really angry and kicking it's t- throwing its toys out of the pram and <laughs> I don't know the dif- the distances but I guess it thinks it's pretty far away from Exeter as well it says now. it's the
0: most uh, remote mainland trust in the country
2: there you go you sort of pit that against um Norfolk and um uh and so they but they merged in April you know having it takes a few years for people to come around to accepting these things, doesn't it? And merge with Royal Devon next to to, to 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 reduce what I think is 208 mm. trust foundation trusts. But you know the the, the case in Norfolk is that they're talking about sharing a chief exec, and if you um, if you look at the number of independent chair and chief executive trust teams you know so counting um, uh, Barts and, and BHRT as as one they've just moved to single chair and moving to single chief executive and places that are sharing chairs and chief executives northwest London um, we've got um, Matthew Swindells as a single chair it's sort of mm. four acute trust there anyway if you take all that into account then there's uh, a 179 sort of independent trust chief team so fewer than 200 um, compared to 250 50 essentially in 10 years ago, and um, nearly 400 in the year 2000. Wow. Um, mm-hmm. So it's sort of consistent. And you know, if you if you take account of those shared leadership, it's pretty pretty steep. But if you listen to people like um, who are advocates of of trusts um, coming together under shared leadership, like you um, said, David Dalton, who's who's you know led a, a pretty successful example of this in in Manchester. Um if you listen to them, they you know they should be really more in the ballpark of sort of fifty separate acute forty, fifty acute trusts mm-hmm. um or acute groups. Um and um you know there are others who, who would like to see more of ac- accelerated. and um, Glenn Burley as well as made a success mm-hmm. of it with um with Warwickshire and, and other places in the West Midlands. Um and, um, and so you know, at this rate of change, actually, it's going to be quite a long time before you get down to anything like 50, so yeah. I did also look at, um, because of course the kind of more important question is, well, does it actually work? Is it a, a good way of improving care? And you kind of need a, a pretty well resourced uh, project to look into that, which is not probably in really in an anyone's interest to mm. at the moment to, to do that. But if you look at there are certainly question marks about whether it re- is really successful. Um, there are examples where it has been like the two I've mentioned. Um, you know, um, me and James were just uh, reminiscing about the 2013 um, list of Keogh trusts earlier today. And some of those have and, and actually a lot of them have, have improved, come out. They're no longer sort of special measures um, Cases um, and some of those is is have done that independently. Some of them, like um, George Elliot, have, have done it. You know, and, uh, with the help of hospital groups or Pennine Acute, which wasn't on that list, but has sort of benefits from merger. Um, but others have done it on their own. Um, but if you look at i was i was just looking at um staff survey results which were a good kind of cultural barometer of, of how places are getting on and actually single site trusts um you know so i looked at morale um and it's consistent over since 2018 M- morale on average is better at trusts which have one which run one major mm. hospital um, and then next in the queue is those that run two Mm. and then organisations which are running three or four um, major hospitals which are you know getting towards pretty substantial sized groups they have um, worse um, morale again and you tend to see with the staff survey that these you know that pattern would be repeated in other things Um, but whether they make it better you know that's not quite the same saying can they make it better or worse because we might have ended up with three hospitals because you took over somewhere where there's not very good morale. um, is exactly. that because they feel such a strong sense of identity they are under the, well sentence? Uh, I mean, you know, places like Homerton and, and um see other things. obviously, a single side trusts which have successful have always been pretty successful. Some would say well they're in it because of circumstances or they're well resourced. Mm-hmm. And so they've got a strong sense of identity. But you know, what's wrong with that if it if it works? And maybe it, it doesn't mean that um, doesn't mean that creating bigger ones and sort of uh, lumping them together is, is going to help, mm-hmm. um, but it, it does seem to in some cases, the, sort of, the two the examples I've mentioned, examples that seem to have been a lot more difficult are um, like Essex, the, uh, the Mid and South Essex, where the three trust there's, there's some evidence in staff survey and, and other performance stuff that actually that's got worse since um, mm-hmm. since three big three you know, reasonable sized hospitals merge together and similarly it's still, I think the jury's still out in kind of Brighton and Sussex as to whether that's really helping Brighton, even though, you know, there was some good leadership there in Western Sussex um, mm. and Griffiths and you can, where, where you seem to get benefits out of these things is where there's a really a good leader who can kind of come and help out a neighbour and spread this sort of, um, practice and inspiration and uh, culture um, mm. but sometimes it doesn't have Birmingham another one with United um, you know, Hospital with UH, UH Birmingham and, and the heart of England and uh, which just seems to be too big and have, have struggled since that and their merger a few years ago. Yeah I suppose it's just trying to find that balance of knowing when you're becoming too
0: big as a, a trust or a group to you know then you start to do more, more yeah. than good which is maybe what Birmingham is kind of got into gone a little bit liberty far maybe you're Yeah
2: and try and dip for the right reasons and the sort of objective honest appraisal mm. of this is, is this gonna help or are we just sort of trying to dissolve a sort of a, a, an undissolvable mm. problem in a bigger in a bigger organisation. And um, and so actually the kind of relatively slow approach to it probably makes sense though there's uh because you know sometimes you should you should do it in cases where it looks like it's really going to work rather than just mm-hmm. a, a big mass movement towards it yeah but well, like they seem to have done it in a few places where it hasn't worked so far
0: yeah is it your sense oh, in terms of numbers like um is the number of well-performing single site trusts higher or lower than the number of well-performing group trust or shared leadership trust like what's your sense of which one actually is the sort of highest where where where's the highest number going to be do you think in terms of trusted while performing is it
2: the ones under the group model or is it the single site ones well like all these things it's quite hard to say because you what do you mean by high performing um but um on CQC ratings uh I'm just trying to see if I can find my figures um it, essentially there isn't a great deal of difference between them um between the different groups um, which you know makes you you could argue to say well yes so what's the point of bringing them into these bigger organizations when it's not really making much difference Um, but it it depends on your starting point and you need Mm -hmm. a kind of linear look at these things Um, uh, and cases like um, the Salford Northern Care Alliance where, where hospitals which were were poorly rated are now rated you know better and appears to be quite kind of um a reasonably resilient sort of thing, mm. um, as to where to ones where they've not managed to improve it and they might have even deteriorated. Um, but there's I mean there certainly are single sites, single organisations that, uh, that that do well. Um, you know, Homerton being the sort
0: of classic
2: mm. example near here. Mm. Okay. Um, well, so it feels like the trend is that, it, that that will keep going. There'll be more of a group model than sort of single site ones. But I guess we'll, we'll watch that
0: carefully over the next few
2: question years. Question of pace and whether I mean that, there's a lot of put, pushing for provider collaboratives at the moment. Everyone must have a provider collaborative, mm-hmm. but in some you know areas, counties, SDPs, they seem to be, you know, that's kind of a tick box thing and doing some nice and sort of nice to have working together rather than pushing the organisation to be run by the same people rather than Romans one. Mm. So
0: moving from sort of uh, senior managerial leadership structure talk down slightly to the more uh, general NHS staff um, issues and Emily obviously we hear a lot about how exhausted NHS staff are at the moment how much mental stress they've been under during the pandemic but you've written a story this week um, which shows it looks like only a sort of small number of staff are actually accessing a, a, a flagship staff well-being service um which certainly raised my eyebrows a bit can you just talk us through what your story is about and what you think it shows about staff uh, well-being so far
3: yeah so the nhs Wellbeing hubs for staff were introduced in february last year and um, with 15 million pounds in investment so now we've discovered through an foi request um, that these hubs have had a total of fifty-three thousand or so contacts in their first year Um, As far as we know, that's the first time those numbers have been published, there's not much data available on them. Mm. But there's been some concern um, among mental health sector leaders that those numbers are actually quite low, um, particularly percentage-wise, because they include both NHS and social care staff, um, the hubs are open to both groups, and that 53,000 figure equates to under 4% of the total NHS workforce as of January 2022. So what that's done and obviously it includes the social care staff so uh, you know it's considered relatively low mm-hmm. Um and it's kind of sparked some calls for sustained investment obviously that they are being used um, but it's raised some questions as to sort of why they're not being used as much as expected perhaps particularly given um, just some separate analysis for the story which showed that there'd been 8.3 million sick days over the last five years so clearly there's a lot of pressure facing staff um and there's you know there's questions over why so little um percentage wise are actually taking up that offer
0: yeah we'll come to that in a second but what what, what do the hubs actually do just from my understanding
3: so what we for the research for the story we were looking at kind of what different offers there were across the country and um, so essentially a lot of them have direct support so a staff member if they they feel they're struggling they can access um, their hub in their area, the sort of various areas have sort of four or five within them and staff members can phone up and they can say how they're feeling and then they'll be assessed, they'll have a, normally have an assessment um, over the phone or via email or they can fill in a form on a website for instance. and. You know their level of need will be assessed and if they need to go to secondary mental health services then that's dealt with separately but the offer primarily from the hubs is you know kind of a direct support and um, so it would be you know offering maybe signposting to different agencies that kind of thing um but it's it's meant it's designed to kind of give them that support and make them feel like they're listened to
0: mm, okay so in terms of the reasons why um, this number perhaps is lower than people think it should be. The what? What are people's thoughts on? Is it because it's not well publicised, this scheme, or are people sort of wary of getting in touch for other reasons? What What's your research sort of found, found there?
3: So it seems that, that there are some gaps um, in the support offered across the country. So it's not standardised yet and there are efforts being made to do that. Um, so, for instance, in North Eastern Yorkshire, um, they offer phone support seven days a week. Um, Whereas in the southwest, they're operating sort of Monday to Friday, nine to five, and is speaking to Mental Health First Aid England, who they offer the training to the staff who are running the support hubs, um, and essentially there's been a lot of anecdotal um, reports of. Frontline workers, in particular, which you know arguably are the ones under the most pressure and you know perhaps in most need, are struggling to access during working hours because they are only open. Some of them are only open nine to five, and obviously that's a problem. Um we've also got uh, an issue where perhaps in some areas it's not as well publicised. And perhaps people don't know about them as much, but there's also something else which has kind of emerged since since the story has gone out, which was on the comments underneath the story and also on social media, people talking about, you know, reporting that lots of people feel as if they might be, you know, have some detriment from accessing the hubs, which obviously is, is of a concern and it's something that we'll look into. But I think there are obviously various reasons and clearly there's, you know, there's a good reason for the hubs and clearly they are, you know, should be helpful. It's just making sure that they are standardised and effective.
0: Mm. When you say detriment, do you mean what staff are afraid of being penalised for by accessing this support that they're worried about? Um, you know what their their managers are going to think or what what specifically would they potentially be afraid of?
3: Yeah I think there's a concern that if they access the support that there may be some some, you know negative feedback or negative reaction from managers for instance so um, I believe that you know the referral once you get referred to the hub is alerted to your trust and perhaps I think there is there's a scheme for managers, I believe, where you can kind of be anonymous or whatever. But I think the majority of people are to flag up on the system, for instance. So I think there is a concern there over it. And obviously, it's something that we'll explore in more detail once we know more about it. Um, as I said, it's kind of early days because there's not much data available on the hubs at all. And that is something that the Royal College of Psychiatrists are calling for more data and better data so that we can actually understand you know, um, what the standardisation is and also make sure that people can understand how effective the hubs are really
0: yeah is, is it I mean during the pandemic I think we've all sort of got several times sort of press releases from NHS England saying you know staff well-being is the most important thing and here's what we're going to do to to tackle it and try and improve um, you know our workforce's mental health uh, clearly it was a big priority for them but do you get the impression that through this scheme it kind of the momentum sort of fading a bit and maybe one of the reasons why it's had low uptake and there are concerns is that there's sort of you know there's sort of there's not quite the same emphasis on it from from the leaders who are meant to be sort of funding and, and managing the the hubs maybe it's kind of pe- dropped down the pecking order a bit in terms of priorities or, or is it still very much a kind of flagship you know fully backed by Amanda Pritchard-esque kind of uh, program?
3: I believe it is still and I think there is you know, there's a want to make it work and there's a desire to make sure that it does work. And the funding was repeated again, so it, it was brought in and, you know, it's been agreed again. But I think there is they are aware at NHS England that There does need to be more like better standardisation to make sure that the offer is you know good everywhere. And there's been some guidance that has gone out um, to staff who are working in those hubs to you know make use of the really good examples and to make sure that you know staff are able to get that. But I do think that there is concern, rising concern among sort of particularly mental health leaders and know in terms of there is a really big scale of this problem as, as I said with the you know these sick days figures that we looked at as well and um, clearly there is a real problem and um, there was an interesting point that was raised by um Simon Blake who's the CEO of Mental Health First Aid England who was saying about actually um you know you've got a system that is under extreme pressure um and yes you have the well-being offer which is which is good and obviously there is more work to be done but i think until you solve some of the sort of wider problems and um, you know like staffing issues, and you know, until you sort those out, how can you...
2: A, b- a bit of a contrast today. with There the, the, the was um, during um, the more the heights of the pandemic and particularly kind of between waves, there was a little rhetoric about making sure everyone takes their holidays and don't do your work, mm. don't work too hard and things, wasn't there. Um, whereas today, you know, now, that just um, today, the news has come out with a letter about elective, um, you know, finding enough workforce to get through the elective backlog, which, you know, although it doesn't say clearly doesn't say neglect people's well-being it's kind of about squeezing every um, iota of work out of people by removing you know any disincentives to do extra work removing caps on the amounts of sessions you can do and stuff like that which is so there's there's obviously a slight um, contradiction about slightly conflicting objectives about looking after people's well-being and just the only the reason there are not additional clinical staff coming in in great numbers so the only thing you can do is try and get more work out of people.
0: Yeah um, okay well I think that is all we've got time for uh, on today's episode so thanks very much to James, Emily and Dave for uh, uh, talking about your stories. Um, Health at HSJ's Health Trek podcast is available on all uh, normal podcast uh, channels and please do get in touch if you have any suggestions for what you would like us to talk about you can email annabelle.collins at wilmingtonhealthcare.com so thanks very much for listening and we'll uh, be back next week.